Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This week, we're covering Mr. Drew Atkinson's episode, talking all about early season scrapes 
and uh, using doe estrus early in the year. Jacob, how you doing? Doing well. I'm doing real well. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. Doing pretty good. I'm excited because uh, in about 48 hours, we're going to have a serious, serious cold front roll through. And uh, and we're going to go hit the woods, and it's going to be fun. Yeah, that I'm is. Excited. It's going to be like legit cold. You know, it's going to be like uh, mid to low 40s uh, in Alabama in the mornings. Uh, high probably around what, 72-ish, something like that. Yeah. Where yep. we're going to hunt. So first legit cold front of the year. I'm very excited. Very excited. Yeah, so. it's, it's going to be pretty awesome. Um, real quick, uh, before we get into the podcast, I think we need to make a quick little announcement. We got some uh, some new merch coming. Yeah, we uh, we got hats, finally. I'm wearing my favorite one of the new hats. It's uh, it's the uh, khaki and coffee, I think is the official colors, mm-hmm. uh, with, the, with the Southern Outdoorsman patch on it on the front. Uh, and then we also got all these up here. Video podcast folks can see all these. Yeah, but this is my favorite right here. That's, the, that's Jacob's favorite. The old school camo. That that's my favorite right there. Old school from Lost Hat Company. Freaking yep. awesome hat, first of all. I, I like I actually like these better than Richardson's, uh just how they fit. Um so we got some of those. And then we got these uh earth toned hats. So we got two of the or yeah, I guess two of these, uh that are they've got the earth tone patches and then also it's kinda earth tone um like colorways on the actual hat. So I think it's like one of them's like a grayish brown, the other one's kinda like a like a dull green color. Uh, and they're meant. These are meant so you can actually go hunting them. So this this be your new favorite bow hunting hat. You could have turkey hunt in them if you wanted to as well. Duck hunt, whatever you're doing. And the and then we also got the the classic, the OG loading in black. So the kind of green and black hat. That was our the the best seller back when we had hats <laughs> before we sold out like a year and a half ago. Yeah. So we got them, baby. And we also got blaze orange. Southern Outdoorsman hats on the way, so you'd be able to get your blaze orange hat and, and, and go the, kill a state record buck in it, just like Michael Perry did. Yeah, Michael Perry wearing the Southern Outdoorsman yeah. hat when he killed a state record, the baby. state record buck. And you know what the the sad part about it was though is like how Perry likes to wear his hat. <laughs> he tilts it up so high that like you could just barely catch the logo in all those pictures. I'm like, man, someone should have pulled, pulled his, his hat, hat down, down a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, because man, that that picture has been all over the place. Absolutely. But anyway, so yeah, we got all these hats. They're available on the SouthernOutdoorsman.com. You can hit them in the link below, and uh, and go check them out. And uh, by now, the uh, the email blast has already gone out to our email subscribers on Woodsman Wire, but they got a discount. So if you weren't signed Ooh. up for that, you missed out big mm. time. So, uh, yeah, you should go sign up for that if you haven't already because I think when the Blaze Orange hats come in, we'll be sending out another discount on the newsletter. So uh, when you go over to the website, you'll be able to see uh, Woodsman Wire. Go sign up for it. It's free. What's the website? TheSouthernOutdoorsman.com. www.TheSouthernOutdoorsman.com. Not Southern Outdoors Man. Not Man. Men. M-E-N. M-E-N. You know, Tiffany, like my wife, she does her bookkeeping and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was watching her do her bookkeeping last night. She was working in bed. Um, we were going to sleep, and I see our name on the list. No. And it's spelled wrong. I'm like, oh, come on, man. Tiffany, Tiffany, Tiffany. Everybody gets it wrong. We should have just made it the Southern Outdoors Man because literally our Google, we can, like, see our search analytics. Our Google search analytics are higher for Southern Outdoors Man than men. People refuse to use the term men, M-E-N, which is interesting. So. Yeah, 
little little tangent there. Yeah. Go well, buy a hat, please. Yeah, long story short, <laughs> we got some hats, guys, so go check them out on the website, yeah, southernoutdoorsman.com. Uh, so this this week's breakdown episode, we're highlighting and covering a uh, conversation we had with uh, Drew Atkinson, who originally was on the podcast a few weeks back, actually maybe about a month or so back. Um, and we originally had talked to him about early season feed tree hunting in the mountains and the successes he's had doing that uh, for targeting and killing mature bucks, which has been, you know, really fascinating. And actually, so by the time this episode is actually coming out, Drew has actually just killed a really, really nice buck on a scrape uh, around feed trees uh, on actually it was September 30th. He shot that buck in Arkansas, which is unbelievable on a piece of public land. Uh, so he did exactly what he talked about in the episode and uh, went out there and implemented it, uh, at least from the episode from this week. So in the original episode we did with him again, a couple weeks back, talking about the feed trees, we actually kind of dabbled in scrapes a little bit. And he talked about how much scrapes are such an important factor for him, both, you know, actual scrapes on the landscape, you know, a lot of your primary community scrapes, but also doing mock scrapes and how he's had success, you know, targeting those. And I was like, dude, let's save that. You know, we kind of touched on it a little bit in that episode, but let's save a lot of that and let's do a whole new episode. And that's really what we talked about uh, on this week's episode with Drew. And it's a fascinating discussion because he's been doing this for 10 to 15 years. And as he talks about the episode, He's been experimenting, doing different things and applying, especially mock scrapes in different areas and implementing different scents and all that kind of stuff to see the response of each individual buck. Because every buck's a little bit different. They all react a little bit different. But he's had tremendous success with this. And I'll be personally, I think this episode from Monday, we're going to have a lot of listener success stories come from, Mm -hmm. personally. Because I went out and hunted a piece of public that I'm like, I wish I had some doe esters with me because I would have tried it on some super hot scrapes I had found. But I tried this coming weekend. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it's one of those things that um, as we kind of hash out this conversation, you know, it, it was a long episode. I think it was an hour and 40 minutes long or so. Um, but there's a lot of really good information in there that, uh, again, there were some big takeaways from Drew. But to kind of kick it over to you, Andrew, what, you know, after kind of, you know, interviewing Drew and kind of listening to his perspective, what were some of those big takeaways that you learned specifically on the application of focusing on scrapes during the early season, which is something we've never really focused on? Yeah. Well, I mean, I focused on it from a picture standpoint, uh, like trail camera picture standpoint, mm-hmm. but I've never really focused on hunting them in early season. But probably my biggest takeaway was his thoughts on scrape lines specifically and, and hunting and running cameras on scrape lines because – like, truth be told, when I'm talking about scrapes and I'm talking about, like, the ones that people get hung up on that usually don't produce, I'm, I'm usually talking about a scrape line. Mm-hmm. Um, and to hear him who's had success on that, like, he's obviously doing something that I'm not doing. But I think he broke it down in a really uh, easy-to-digest way because he was talking about those scrape lines. A lot of – most of the ones you find are in your negative terrain. Yeah. Okay, so, like, most of the ones that you find, they're going to be in the open woods – going to be running down that creek bottom, you know, wide open creek bottom. Running down that logging road. Running down that logging road in those open pines. Yep. Uh, and he's talking about the ones that you got to really get in there and find. Like, they're going to be just inside of the edge of that thick cover. Uh, they're going to be where the deer are actually hanging out. And uh, you might have found one of those, right? I absolutely okay. found yeah, one yeah, of yeah. those. So, that, we'll get into that in a little bit. But th- I found that very, very interesting because it's like, okay – that, it makes total sense to me now. Yeah. Like these deer are going and they're laying down sign. And the reason that you're not having success on that scrape line and, and why, you know, you might think that scrapes aren't worthwhile is because you're just hunting the wrong ones. You're yep. hunting them in the wrong place where the deer aren't at. And it kind of goes back to the thing of, I know I'm just cutting you off. It kind of goes back to the thing of when it comes to scrapes, like 
the scrape is there because the deer are there, not the other. Like the the deer aren't going there for the scrape. Like the a scrape is only there because there's deer there. Yeah. And so that's always something to keep in mind because I think where people go wrong with scrapes is they think that the deer are going to be there because there is a scrape or because there should be a scrape. So another thing that Drew talked about with scrape lines is is a very specific window of time of when he'll target a scrape line. Mm-hmm. It's kind of early. And then it's also, you know, late season, getting into, like, your post rut, you know, when most other guys are out of the woods. You know, he's like, he, he mentioned, like, those scrape lines, you'll see a bunch of them pop up during the rut, but it's just, like, probably, it could be a mature buck, but sometimes it seems to be a younger buck just throwing out a ton of sign, and he's not going to come back to there. He's just making a ton of sign, and he's kind of just working off and being very uh, nomadic. And that's some of the scrape lines I think that we've talked about in the past where you find a lot of the scrape lines come up right around the rut, and it seems like you run a trail camera on it, and it's like you don't see that deer for – you don't see a buck on that camera for five, six, seven days. Yeah. Versus like some of these other scrapes he's talking about, or like one of these scrape lines outside of that rut period, again – early season and then also late season they're being more productive and that's when he's able to capitalize them capitalize on them specifically when they're like you said in the right kind of habitat and terrain that's going to dictate buck movement during the daylight and not yeah. going to be at nighttime yeah definitely uh, and then the estrus thing again very interesting uh how he uses estrus and, and that's something that i honestly kind of want to give a try this year i, I want to give it more of a go yes because I've never been a big scent guy. No. At all. Um, and and we actually shared a hunting camp last year with uh, Todd Brogdon, who works with Native Scents, or at least he was last year. I don't know if he is this year. Uh, and he hooked us up with a bunch of Native Scents. And uh, we used it a little bit last year, but not much. Yeah. Uh, I want to use it more this year and, and, like, really give it a try and uh, and just and see what happens with it. You know? Yeah, I was using it almost more so as a cover scent. Like, yeah. you kind of climb a tree, you know, especially during, like, gun season or something like that, and, you know, get, like, you know, their – I can't remember, but their um, – like a, like a um, dominant buck scent. And at when you get the tree height – sprayed on the tree up above you per se yeah so as that kind of you know that wind swirls a little bit you get something else out there other than just human odor at that elevation kind of you know drifting yeah. off yeah that that war party yeah scent. the war party it yeah. smells like a buck fight yep that's it's it's pungent yep <laughs> but but kind of going back into this uh with the estrus i'm very interested in, in trying that and i think a lot of listeners probably a lot of you guys listening and also watching maybe it kind of upped your curiosity because like andrew said I haven't had – I've never been, like, huge on deer scent specifically, like, um, you know, using a lot of estrus or buck urine or stuff. I've dabbled it in the past. Yeah. Um, I, I'd say one buck I killed as a as a kid at, like, 15 years old, I thought I'd killed him because I used some doe estrus on a scent wick and everything, and I was kind of hunting with a, kind of like a crosswind, and when I get back to the, the ladder scene, I climbed up it, and I put that, that estrus out, like, I don't know, 40 yards in front of me. Um, climbed up and right when I climbed up, Buck stood up out of a. He was bedded like 60 yards from me in the drainage, and he stood up, threw his head up, and started walking towards me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's the only time I ever think it actually potentially worked. Yeah. Um. But then again, I'm like, how did he not smell me? Because I walked up and put that scent out in that same scent cone mm-hmm. that you know he could smell. So anyway, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. But um. Now I I grew up with a guy. Um. I don't know if you ever met him, but. Sawyer. I've talked about Sawyer a lot. Uh-huh. So Sawyer's dad, he's a big buck killer. Oh, yeah. Back. Yeah, I know. And I've seen one of his deer. I killed a deer on a place when he killed one. He rolled up. I'm like, what is that, Oh, dude? yeah, yeah. yeah. It, man, he killed one. He had some private down in Auburn. He killed a, a huge buck <laughs> down there one time. But he, 
used to swear by doing a um, scent drag. Scent drag. Yeah, that's my, his thing. So that's that generation. My uncles, mm-hmm. same thing. Like, man, you, you get that little scent drag, you tie you know to your right. leg. He will walk the woods down with that thing behind uh-huh. him. Yeah. And man, yeah, that was his thing. He before daylight, he would like he would like make an extra loop through areas to just to get more uh, scent, you know, yeah. on that scent drag coming back to his stand, and then he'd set up with it. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, he killed a lot of big deer doing it. I, that's interesting that we're uh, 523 episodes in, and we haven't. I don't think we've talked to anyone who's like huge on the scent drag yet. No, because I, I think some guys maybe have mentioned it. I think some guys have mentioned it, but also. Um, one comes to mind, but I don't, I don't, I won't, I won't mention him because he might not have done it. But like, I, I want to say I've heard of more like negative effects of scent drags than positive. As in, like, you lay the scent down, and as you're like taking your stand off your back to climb a tree, buck runs in on you, like on that trail, and you're like, "Well, crap, that kind of sucks." Um, or like just coming straight to your tree because you didn't loop around the tree. I mean, you know, it, it's interesting because again, like my uncle's generation, um, kind of like you know Sawyer's dad's generation or so. Um, they all did that, you know, yeah. back in like the nineties, early two thousands and, and swore by it. I remember us doing it as a kid growing up and never, never think it worked, but then again, didn't try a whole bunch or, you know, they had like little sit pads. You could like, like, it was like a Velcro strap or whatever, go around your, your boot, boot. Yeah. and you spray it and walk in and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And, you know, as kids, I remember like hunting down the family farm, we'd like just pour a little bit, especially when you had rubber boots on, pour a little bit of deer pee on your boots and just walk in like that. Yep. But again, I never... The only situation I can ever think of that, you know, I potentially think it helped was on that one buck I killed at the farm back when I was like, I don't know, 14, 15 years old. But again, um, I, I do think like the estrus in the scrapes early season, as Drew said, if you want to test it, don't go to like your honey hole or like, you know, go to some place that maybe you're like, you're just curious about whether you're hunting publicly or you're on your hunting club or whatever. Go to a different section. If you find a scrape or you make a mock scrape, put it out and just see. Just yeah. see what happens. Um, and then, you know, if you think it boogers the deer up, okay, whatever. It's not a primary area that you're going to focus on anyways. But if you start seeing on camera that the deer, you know, a specific buck or some bucks are a lot more curious and start daylighting, mm-hmm. like, all right, we might need to mess around with that a little bit more on our place. Um, yeah. Because... Yeah, I'm kicking kicking myself for not having some with me this past week. So, yeah, kind of is what it is. But, um, yeah, I thought that was real interesting. And then also another thing that I thought was kind of fascinating was how when I hunted up in, in Arkansas in the mountains uh, a couple of years ago, I had I, I never found a scrape. I don't – well, maybe we found a couple on top of some of the, 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 top, the top of ridges. But he's talking about, like, finding some on the benches and finding stuff on, on the slopes and stuff like that. And I always was – I was told by some locals, like, they don't ever scrape down there because it's too rocky. And he's and he mentioned the episode because I asked yeah. him that. He's like, sometimes it is, but also you'll be surprised in what they will scrape up even if there's rocks there. And, like, he's talking about, like, if he goes in and finds a spot that, like, man, there should be a scrape here, but it's not because it's too rocky, he'll rip some of those rocks out, out of the ground, like some of the smaller rocks, and, like, yep. you know, kick the ground up real good and, and almost make that scrape more readily available. Yeah. And then the bucks will start using it. Uh, I've seen videos – uh, hunting public videos of Ted Miller in mm-hmm. Iowa, and he does the same thing where he'll go get some freaking dirt from somewhere, like yep. the river or something like that, and carries it up in the woods and digs a hole and half fills it with that dirt that he, like, it's real loamy, like, soft dirt, mm-hmm. and mixes it with the dirt that's already there, and he, like, makes his own little dirt patch and swears by it. So that's interesting. And now another thing we talked about on another scrape episode a long time ago, uh, when we had Troy Pottinger on. Okay, yeah. I think we talked about with Pike, Michael Pike, 
after, I think it was in one of the outro episodes, one of the breakdown episodes, we had discussed. Back then, we were doing the outro at the end of the episode. Yeah, it was like a five-hour long yeah, podcast. Yeah, it was a long podcast. But uh, actually, real quick, look up Troy Pottinger's uh, first, that Scrape Masterclass episode. I'm pretty episode. sure it's 175. Okay. Um, Just off the top of my head, let's see if I'm right. But I I don't think Troy necessarily did this, but I think we talked about after the fact about, like, if you found a really hot scrape in an area that's maybe not huntable and something that you're not going to focus on, actually digging up some of that dirt with a shovel, like when it's actually being used pretty readily available, or when it's you know readily being used and transferring that dirt over to 175. episode 175 is uh scrape hunting masterclass with troy potter is a must listen to episode guys if yep. you really enjoyed this week's episode with drew but transferring some of that scrape dirt from a different scrape over into an area where you're making a mock scrape or trying to fresh up a different scrape because mm-hmm. you're bringing in all these different scents and also same thing about transplanting <sighs> licking branches yeah like say you see some licking branches from a scrape that's maybe it's on a logging road it's getting hit pretty good but it's not in a huntable spot Take some clippers in there, cut off, you know, 24 inches that that looking branch, and then transfer, you know, wear some gloves, transfer it over to a... Zip tie that sucker Yeah, up. zip tie it, make a mock scrape with it, or, or put it in an additional scrape that you think's huntable, and then make it even more... Uh, make it smell like it's even other deer in that general area, yeah. especially if you transplanted that, you know, not just a couple hundred yards, but a couple miles in a different mm-hmm. direction, you know, in a completely different doe gr- or deer group. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that actually, that and that's an interesting point that Troy brought up about that, about how, like, at, for years, like, that scrape has been worked, uh, and, like, that soil potentially, I don't know, like, maybe smells different than the surrounding soil. Not that there's still, like, deer urine in the soil that they can smell, but, like, chemically, I don't know if it might change the 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 compounds in the soil mm. or something like that because they're freaking peeing on it all the time and, and messing with it. So that patch of dirt probably does smell different yeah. than the rest and so bring that in and actually we found a good example of that on the club uh we went out on the club again this past weekend i took tiffany and piper out there we had piper and a little baby chest rig dude piper's a little woods baby man she we're dragging her through the briar thickets and everything dude that baby is there for it she loves it man uh well she, is, well she she doesn't have a say in anyway so no she's she doesn't going. have a say but she's having a good time <laughs> she's like grabbing like the grass and everything like pine trees as we're going by she's smiling the whole time and uh, we we took Sam and Blakely out there too, and we were putting some some of Sam's cam- Sam's cameras out, and uh, we went to a scrape that I'd found last year. Just in passing, I had seen it, and I was like, "Hey, let's go put a camera on that scrape again because it's in a great, excellent, excellent hub, probably the best hub on the property. And there's all kinds of habitat edges that run into it. And I was like, "Let's go back down to that scrape." So we get there. And it's on a, a beech tree, like a young beech tree that's growing right up against another bigger tree. Mm-hmm. And it's just got that classic, you know, just umbrella of of perfect licking branches. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is like, I don't know. I mean, it, it almost goes around the whole tree. It's like a half moon. It just goes around the tree. And it is like, I was showing Sam and Blakely this because, like, they're pretty new. And I was showing them, like, what to look for with the scrape. And I was like, I mean, you can look at the dirt, and it's, like, indented, where they've, like, dug it out from where they pawed it out over the years. And you can literally see, like, this little trench that they've dug around the tree. And I was like, that's what you're looking for. But I was telling them that for it to be like that, they've they've been scraping on this thing for years now. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no telling how long. And so that goes back into, like, what Troy was saying, that that dirt probably smells different. There's, there's like, a different quality. So, I mean, yeah, it— it would be potentially interesting, especially if you're uh, creating a new mock scrape to go in there and get a couple shovelfuls of that dirt and just transfer it over. And if nothing else, 
it'll smell different. It'll mm-hmm. smell like fresh earth, and it's not going to smell like the dirt of wherever you've transferred it to because they can absolutely tell the difference, I think, between those two. And uh, and so it just might be a new thing. Like, we didn't put any scent in that scrape either. We just scraped it all out and uh, and got all that fresh earth, and you're standing there, you can smell that dirt, mm-hmm. and, you know, that just that will get them scraping mm-hmm. on it, you know, get, get them using it. But if you transfer dirt from elsewhere, like, that's going to pique that curiosity factor hard, I think. So interesting tactic. Oh yeah, absolutely. And again, I still, I'm curious doing the whole licking branch and like, you know, cutting off yeah. licking branches off one scrape, transfer it to a different scrape. Um, just to add realism of like another buck moved in or no, other deer moved in and kind of get that curiosity going. Um, also another thing with Drew and kind of like that Drew talked about is like the position of these scrapes is still around like different contour breaks where you have like that really steep slope as it comes around the side of a ridge, it kind of starts to flatten out and he likes to kind of key in setting his stand up because he's a big bow hunter on that contour break where that scrapes up above him. And one thing he talked about is how often like, you might get this buck on camera, you know, once every few days. And he mentioned this because I think you asked him or I asked him about, you know, how often do you ha- need this buck on camera in order you feel you feel confident going in there and kill him? Because he's not using cell cameras, so he has to physically hike out there and check these cameras. And he's like, you know, if you catch him on camera, you know, every couple days, like every other day or something like that, that's really good because the thing is he might still be coming by the camera, but he's coming downwind of it b- below the camera and, like, you're just mm-hmm. missing him. Yep. And he's like, it's happened so many times where he shot deer – that came in downwind scent checking that scrape that never was on the camera, but he killed that buck because he was in there at the right time. And it kind of goes back to what, you know, one of our past guests and one of our buddies, Shane Parker's talked about when he's run, you know, hundreds of trail cameras and he'll find like a really big scrape like this that we're talking about. And he'll put one camera at the scrape, put another camera facing directly away from the scrape downwind and have two or three cameras around a scrape. So if a deer comes within 40 yards of the scrape, he's going to catch it on camera. And how often he was seeing bucks coming in downwind scent checking, but never actually coming up to the scrape itself. And again, that's deer still killable if he's coming through during daylight. It's just you got to make sure you're far enough far enough off that scrape. When he circles around downwind or down thermal of that scrape, you can get a shot opportunity at him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's very interesting. And that I mean, that's how I killed my mountain buck last year. He yep. was he was swinging around a scrape. He wasn't he wasn't going to it. And that camera on that scrape, I positioned it in a way where I caught some of those deer that were swinging around it, but not many because they're so far back, you know, past the scrape mm-hmm. that you're just kind of getting lucky if they trigger it because they're so far back there. But uh, that spot really opened my eyes to that, you know, just from my own experience last year where, yeah, I mean, it is like a ton of deer are just winding that scrape. Or, I, like, sometimes I even think they're, like, visually checking it too. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just kind of taking a peek at it, you know, looking down there, seeing if there's anything standing there, and uh, and then going on their merry way. So, I don't know. Interesting stuff, man. I love scrape talk. By the way, another conversation kind of about his first episode talk about whip rubs uh-huh. uh one of our uh one of our buddies uh clay harper sent us a uh, sent me a video of a guy in a facebook group showing a buck like a big mature buck in georgia on public land making a whip rub and uh-huh. i'm talking about ripping the top and it is exactly what we talked about where like you find these whip rubs because we've had a lot of messages recently from a bunch of listeners asking like is this a whip rub or, you know is this a whip rub all, all this kind of stuff and we've talked about, like, the damage on whip rubs where, like, if you have, like, a sapling the size of, like, whether it's, like, your pinky all the way to, like, your thumb in diameter, and it's broke off, the top of it's broke off. Yeah. Like, that's, a, you know, Buck's putting out a lot of testosterone. He's doing a lot of damage to it. And typically, he's got a pretty decent rack if he can twist it up and rip it off. Um, and this video showcased that. He, he comes up to this sapling, dude, 
walks up and it's from like over the shoulder shot with the trail camera where he's like walking oh. just past the camera. He hooks this thing and he, he, I mean, he goes to just shredding it and he rips it up and it is snapped off like four inches off the ground. That's it. And I'm like, that's what you're looking for. Like that is especially super early in the season. Like that's what you're looking for right now. Um, you know, velvet's coming off. You know, they're starting to you know ramp up testosterone. They're not necessarily rubbing some bigger trees quite yet. So like, if you find some of those smaller saplings that not aren't just like skin up, but are like the tops are broken out or like a shrub where it's all like broken up, that's probably a pretty decent buck that's going in there and actually doing a lot of damage to it. And that's something definitely key in on. But it was cool seeing that video. So actually, we might we might share that video, post it because. Like, yeah, it's I want to see example. it. I want to see it. I haven't seen that yet. That that looks really cool. Or that sounds really cool. I'd love. He's a to big see buck it. too. He's a, oh, he's a big old buck. Big old Georgia public land deer. So, uh, so, so kind of keeping it moving along here. You basically took uh, what Drew talked about and went out and just immediately found well, it. Right. Okay. Before I was gonna say before we even talked about that, I was gonna say we haven't talked about doing the prescribed fire at the farm or anything like that either. We, we had that happen. Oh, yeah. Had that happen about a week or two ago. Um, so before we went hunting, we decided to go burn the the, the our farm, family farm, my uncle's farm, uh, who's been on the podcast, Anthony Tron Colley. And uh, earlier this summer, we did an episode with Kyle Eibarger and Alan Summerford uh, at the farm. They came out and did a whole walk through the property, kind of did a little consultation. And uh, they were both really impressed with the native habitat and, like, how this farm's kind of transforming it back into more of, like, a grassland property and not so much like timber heavily timber property mm -hmm. but how much the deer in, are using this property right now we you know kind of devised a plan to burn some of it we did a, ran a fire out there and dude let me tell you when you don't have rain for about two weeks uh, we had a day with a little bit higher humidity but we ran that fire through there that sucker was still burning as of two days ago and it's been seven days <laughs> there's like stumps still on fire and just you know anthony's wow. going back out there checking on it. he's like dude he's like man that fire popped back up again He's had to go around and chase it, which it's good. He had a really good fire break, so it can't jump the fire break, but it's like it just keeps popping back up. But it looks completely different. And the crazy thing is, now it's like stuff starting to sprout up, and he's starting to show me photos. The deer were back in that burn the next day. There was droppings everywhere, fresh droppings all in that burn, because yeah. I went back out there like two days later, and the deer were already back in there using that stuff. Mm. And like, dude, all those acorns that fell on the ground, like, he's got some sawtooth on the property. They're all like kind of crispy, and there you can see they're coming through and just picking all those up, oh, yeah. just wearing them out, which is which is pretty cool. But, um, but yeah, we had that go on, and then uh, decided to do uh, go hunt Alabama. Alabama's a bow opener, part of the bow opener opened uh, this past weekend. And so, so there's like the, most of the state doesn't open until October 14th mm -hmm. this year, but there are several different areas of the state. I think there's like three or four different areas that mm -hmm. open earlier. So yep. so they broke it up into zones, which is way different than when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. It used to just be like, it was Alabama, here's the regulations, and yep. now, now they're starting to break it up, and it seems like every year they kind of uh, draw the lines a little bit finer and they kind of change a little bit, uh, which I like. You know, it gives you new opportunity, and, and it's more area-specific, which I, I think it should be. Yeah. So it's pretty exciting. It gives you some, uh, some neat opportunities. But that, so that was... September 30th mm -hmm. this year, right? So that that's when you guys went up there. First time ever hunting in Alabama in September. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. It's hot as crap though, too. It was it was hot, freaking dry. Wasn't as nice as Georgia, was it? No, no, and it was crazy. It's like it feels like crazy dry, like just dry heat during the day and then you start getting the afternoon and it was like this humidity and you're like oh my god <laughs> it's like it's we're, you know it's like it's both sides is terrible. Um but no, I got some guys some deer uh uh, first afternoon slipped out there and I was trying to do what Drew was talking about. Like of course trying to find some feed trees, um, and a little more kind of hilly area. And, 
decided I dropped a pin in this spot. I actually was sharing camp with uh with uh old, our buddy Michael Pike and also Shane Parker was there. Um and uh Olivia Olivia Glasgow was there and I can't remember Alan's last name. Alan's listening to the podcast. But uh all shared camp is pretty fun hunting, but uh, decided to drop a pin in this little thermal hub that I wanted to go check out and hiked in there and found some feeds on the way in, but it's like the white oaks, all the white oaks, like this year is probably gonna be a really good year, at least in a decent part of the Southeast for like mass crops. Um, because it was kind of like it was in Georgia, like every white oak is loaded. Every red oak seemed to have acorns on the mountain oaks are dropping like absolute crazy. The deer aren't touching them. Uh, except, uh, I think, uh, I think it might've been Shane said he found some feeds on the mountain oaks. Uh, or maybe it, was, it might have been someone else said that, but um, the interesting thing was I found whites that were dropping, and there's some deer signs. You find punch holes in the leaves and stuff like that, but there was like very light feed sign. Like it was nothing crazy. It was kind of like what we found in Georgia on a couple of white oaks. We're like they're hitting it, but they're not hitting it enough. I'd feel confident sitting there. Yep. And hiked into a spot where you had a uh, you had like a um, like a little drop kind of coming off this ditch going down to the bottom. The deer can't really go around. And when I got to that spot, I just started finding. Two real big rubs, super fresh rubs, uh, and just tracks everywhere, man, crossing this ditch, going from one ridge to the other ridge, and sat up there. I was like, this is too good to keep going. Like, I just I just need to check this out because there's feed trees. Are, there was a beech tree in there dropping beech nuts. Oh. Deer had it weared out underneath. Really? Like, it was tilled up. And you oh, tell the squirrels yeah. were in there, too, but, like, the deer had it tilled up droppings underneath it. It was right off this little ditch. You, ever, like, you ever chewed beech nut? No, I have not. Uh, a little tobacco? Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, nope. um, but oh it, man, one time I was in a gas station mm-hmm. up uh, not far from where you were. I almost said the town, but I cannot say the town. But uh, middle middle of nowhere, Alabama, and uh, I was in this gas station, and they had the beech nut and the red man, and uh, and some like little cannonball like tobacco plugs in the candy aisle, like out from the. I was like, hell yeah. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> Roll Tide. Yeah. Um, I was like, that's interesting. That's Alabama. It's not Florida. normally where you see the tobacco. <laughs> no. <laughs> or the candy aisle. Yeah. Be like, get my Reese's and a big old plug of backer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, no, so, anyways, I got set up, dude, and I climbed up the tree. It was, like, probably 4, God, it was probably, like, 4.15, and I'm like, I pull my pull my backpack up with my bow, and I hang it, and I'm, like, about to take it off the bow, and I hear running towards me, and I'm like... <laughs> Is there deer like already up on their feet, like you know, two and a half hours for dark, three hours for dark? And uh, I like look up to the hill and I'm like, dude, that is a hundred percent of deer coming right towards me. So like, I unclip my bow, dude. I don't even have the camera set. I unclip the bow, knock an arrow, get my release out, and I'm like looking, looking, looking. And all of a sudden, I see legs coming. Deer, like the deer's coming right down to me, and I'm like, oh man, it's gonna drop off this point, come right this crossing, like ten yards, perfect. So it comes down and gets to like. I don't know, maybe 40 yards. I could not tell. I could see the body. I could see head for a part of it, but I couldn't tell if it was a doe or a buck. And it's decided to keep going down the ridge point just past me, like just past like this drop and uh, never dropped down to me. But I was like, man, this is going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Deer kind of got up and came towards me, which I'm thinking probably another hunter parked somewhere up there and kind of walked in, probably bumped that deer because the wind was coming from that direction. And uh, anyway, sat the rest of the afternoon and – at like 5.30, I hear same thing, deer like kind of trotting off one of the ridge. Like there's two ridges right between me. I'm sitting in a ditch, a small little ditch in between them. So I got one ridge off to my left side, one ridge off to my uh, right side, you know, vice versa. And I hear one come off the left side, like 75 yards ahead of me, and drops down into the bottom and gets quiet. And I'm like, what the heck is, what, what is it doing? I couldn't see it. I, I could hear it. 
and then I could hear it kind of going up the other side of the ridge, and I'm like, I could, I could never see it. I'm like, oh, crap, you know, that, that kind of sucks. Then I hear 30 minutes later, same thing now from the right-hand side of the ridge, drops down, lingers for a little bit, and it kind of goes up the left side. I'm like, what is going on? And this place is really dry. Like, Alabama's, you know, we're not as severe of a drought as parts like Louisiana, Mississippi, and, you know, parts of Arkansas and Texas right now. But it's been dry for probably, I mean, God. Probably th- almost a month. Yeah, right? three, four, almost four weeks now. And I think they said in September we only had, like, a total of, like, two inches of rain for the whole state of Alabama. So it's getting really dry. And I'm like – I was thinking about maybe, you know, water, maybe there's a water source. Because I'm sitting on a ditch that you can tell when it rains, there's water comes through. But, yeah. like, there's no water right there. Well, it finally gets dark. Nothing else shows. So, I climb, climb down. Instead of going back up the ridge to my truck where, I, you know, I came in from, I'm, I'm going to walk this ditch up and then hit the ridge and just see what's up there. I go up there 75 yards, and there's a watering hole there that is tracked up, dude. Oh. Like, you, you, I walked up to it, and, like, you start coming up to it, and I'm like, you start smelling like deer and everything. And I'm like. There's gotta be water here. And I like peeked up with my headlamp, get up there, and there's like a little, there's like a little like rock outcropping, kind of coming in that little ditch, that little, like little, it's not a creek, just a little runoff. And there's a deep pool right there, and it's just tracks everywhere. And like the water, you can tell where the deer had come down, and there's tracks in it, and the water's kind of stirred up on one side of the watering hole. Oh, and, dude! And I'm like, son of a gun! I'm like, okay, but I'm like, cool, like, dude, got a watering hole? They're hitting it, dude. I mean, in both sides, there was like five trails, like total five trails, three on the left, two on the right. They were all dropping to this watering hole. Oh, that's epic! And um, ground was all torn up around it and everything. I was like, man, I'm like, okay, this looks good, dude. This looks real good. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm probably gonna come back in here. Maybe in the morning, or if not tomorrow afternoon, the following afternoon, and, and sit this water hole and see if I can catch a deer coming through here. Because I'm hunting for a buck, hunting for a doe, you know, whatever opportunity. You know, I lost my freezer, so I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> stack up some deer meat. So, anyways, I hike out. We go back to camp, talk, stay up crazy late uh, to the point I'm like, okay, I'm not going to wake up. I'm not waking up in the morning to go hunt, but I'm going to wake up at daylight and slip through some of these areas and kind of continue scouting because this is the only little spot I scouted, yeah. like, which is total, like, this might be 20 acres I've walked through. Uh, so I'm going to keep going scouting. So I went to another spot, um, another ridge line, a little bit further up from where I was at. Started walking in there. I get off to the end of this ridge point, and I'm like, man, there's got to be some good cover off this end of this ridge point. I get up to this big oak flat, and I look over, and at 35, 40 yards, I can see this scrape. No question. I can see I'm like, oh, my God. And I walk up to it, and it's a sparkleberry bush growing up, big sparkleberry bush. It's got like seven licking branches. And this scrape, I told you, it's the size of your kitchen table. It's seven feet long, four and a half feet wide, completely destroyed, tracks all in it, everything, droppings around it, deer droppings. And then there's another scrape adjacent to it. So there's another scrape, you know, five yards away on another sparkleberry bush, not as big, but, you know, bigger than this table probably, but still a huge scrape. Yeah, yeah. And it's in wide open woods. I'm like, dude, this got to be nighttime. So I'm about like, drop the pin on. I'm like, dude, might need to put a trail camera here. Walked out the ridge. And I was thinking the ridge was going to be, the ridge point was going to be real thick and they were going to be bedded there, but they weren't. It was real open. So I to hang, hang a right and kind of work a topo line straight up the, straight up the other side of this ridge, uh, kind of farther up. And it starts getting a little bit thicker. And I start getting in there. My like, man, there's deer trails. There's tracks. Like I see punch holes in the leaves. And I come up, I go another car, a couple hundred yards. I find another two scrapes really good. not as big probably about as big as this table but still impressive that refreshed grounds all tore up tracks all in it droppings all around it and i'm like okay this is looking better keep following the sign and there's white oaks around me and some red oaks but like they were dropping very sporadically it wasn't like that any of them were like raining per se yeah go a little bit further up and i decided i'm like man i'm gonna cross this little dip this next little drainage go up on this next ridge line 
because it's like an old there's like a old clear cut up there uh and i'm like i'm just gonna go check out what this old clear cut looks like on the back side of it and decided to drop down as, as i'm dropping down I'm like man there's tracks everywhere like you see punch holes and every now and then you see like a clear track and i get like halfway down that little drainage and i hear a deer just get up and take off running on the next ridge line and as it's running, it sounds like you're running through the woods with two by fours on your hands, just slapping trees, just <laughs> pop, 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 just like making all this racket. I'm like, holy crap, dude! Like, I want that's like that might be a pretty good freaking buck, dude. And uh, I'm like, I'm about to go check him out wherever, like wherever he was at. So as I drop down, I get down to the bottom, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and this white oak in front of me, huge white oak, is just raining acorns, and I'm like huh and then i look down huh. and the ground is destroyed the feed sign is incredible right there like this whole drainage is all like just tilled up and there's tracks over there's droppings and uh i look up a little bit higher kind of start looking up that ridge kind of right where you know going towards where that buck was at or where i assume that you know if it was a buck it sounded like a buck kind of running off was bedded and there's three big scrapes like a little scrape line going up directly to where that deer had gotten up to go to bed yep and i get up to the scrapes and dude they're just they're destroyed dug out you can see he that deer had come across that bob the same way i did and was pulling all the leaves and everything down the hill towards the uh towards the ditch towards the, yeah and there was a, there was a print there was a track sitting in that scrape in one of those scrapes dude that was nearly as big as my hand and i was like okay this is great and it's going right up to where that deer had just got up and took off running so I'm like, I see all this stuff. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to go up any further. I'm not going to get in his bedroom. Like, he, he was probably bedded 30, 40 yards from there. I'm like, I'm not going to go all the way up to it. I know he's bedded in this area. So I started side-hilling around and decided to kind of slip around and just kind of keep seeing if I could find any other feed trees because that little point right there that he was bedded off of had a ton of water on it. And the only ones that were dropping were in that ditch. Yep. All the other ones I checked, nothing was dropping. Only the one in that did, ditch. Did they have stuff in them? Did they have I, – it did not look, did not look up. Uh, cause my, my thing is like, I'm not too worried about like, if it has, I'm like, I'm hunting it now for the next few days if not the next week or so. So like, let's find the hot tree to focus yeah. on. Um, so anyways, keep slipping around and I, I come around the edge of this ridge, kind of go up another 150 yards. And all of a sudden I hear like, just kind of like trotting. It was like shuffling in the leaves real loud. I'm like, what is that? I'm like, that's not a deer. Cause I standing up against a big, I think it was a big poplar I was standing up against. And, uh, like huge i'm like man what is that and it's like kind of coming through that clear cut towards me and uh all of a sudden i hear a squeal i'm like dude there's pigs up here oh no and i'm like oh crap i'm like well dude we're about to shish kebab a pig yeah come on <laughs> we about to freaking shoot a pig and then for the next 45 minutes i was spotting stalking pigs off the ground uh got them within the first group got within 20 25 yards of me could not get a shot one big old black pig he was out there dude just kind of going back and forth i'm like if i had a gun yeah, you'd be in get, trouble. You, you'd get it. Like, dude, you see them they're like hitting trees or like shaking like saplings and stuff, kind of rooting around. That's fun, isn't it? Like sneaking up on them like that. Oh yeah, because I mean, you can get close. Well, as long as they're scared of you, which thankfully these were scared of me, because finally yeah. the wind swirled and uh, it was blowing towards them for like a couple minutes. I'm like, why aren't they busting me? And finally, and I was like, maybe, rooting their way towards well, you. Well, maybe it's the thermals. I, it was really sunny, like on that little ridge line I was on. And finally, like it just they like they went one went. Squirt! And then they just uh, tore off, dude. And they came, they came closer to me. They ran right by me. And I'm like, dude, if I had a gun, dude. Like, I didn't, I didn't even get drawn back. I was like, there's no way. But they came by, like, again, 20 yards, took off running down the next little drainage. And I'm like, I just listened for them. I'm like, I guess we're pig hunting now. And I'm like, they can't run that far. And I listened. And all of a sudden, they stopped. And I'm like, if they stop and 
get go back to feeding, like I'm slipping back down, and they did. Oh, so damn. like I turned, I started, I'm like, all right, we're not deer hunting anymore. We're not deer scouting. We're pig hunting. So like started slipping down that little ridge point, going down towards them, and I start going down. I didn't go 50 yards, and I hear the same that shuffling noise, like. I've never been around a lot of pigs, but man, they got little shuffle little feet, dude. Like yeah. even like a big pig, like the biggest pig I saw was maybe did like. Did you ever hear them like popping their teeth? Oh yeah, they did. And yeah. I thought they were doing that at me. I got a little nervous because I was <laughs> I was looking at like what tree can my fat butt climb around me, and uh, there wasn't many options. Let's yeah. just say that a lot of saplings. But yeah, they were popping their teeth and kind of like fighting and stuff. But uh, anyways, I heard that shuffle and it was coming back towards me. I'm like, are they coming back up here, dude? So like I slipped down there and I like I get set up and I'm like, there's like a uh, like a one was like holly trees, holly bushes kind of growing. And I couldn't really see by, past it, but I could see stuff moving. It's like coming towards me. I'm like, oh, crap. I'm like, so I, I drop down to a knee. I'm like looking. And also I see legs. I'm like, I'm like, dude, that's a freaking, that's a pretty good sized pig. You know, probably 110, 125-pound pig. And uh, it starts coming right towards me. I'm like, you were about to get shot, dude. <laughs> like, we, we're about to do some broadhead testing right now, okay? And it turns, and it's like one of these, like, uh, kind of brown black splotched pigs like kind of like two colored tone two-tone pigs and it comes and starts like kind of milling around just kind of like sitting still i'm like oh dude it's it's 20 yards from me at this point it gets up okay. to like 20 yards gets almost all the way to like 15 yards of me and i'm like oh you are so dead and i'm like i'm picking lanes and stuff and there's some stuff in the way there's i draw no shot yet i draw back oh i okay. get i get drawn back and i'm like kind of sit there anchored and i'm like okay like i just need you to like kind of ease around a little bit to look because it's kind of walking to my left had a good lane there. I'm like just sitting there with my pen. I'm like kind of watching it coming. And right before he hits that lane, it turns and goes right down that point and just keeps feeding. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I guess we're going to chase after a pig. So like, dude, I grab my stuff and it's like by now it's like 10:30 in the morning. Second, it turns away from me. It's been pretty calm all morning. Day winds start to pick up and I can't hear it walking anymore. Oh. Uh, so I'm like, I kind of say easing down there. I'm like, maybe I can catch it in a little opening. It's kind of thick saplings and stuff. And uh, long story short you know, lose the pig and like you get too loud. I, c- I couldn't hear him walking and rooting around and stuff, but I had seen a little bit of pig sign earlier in a couple spots, but not like a ton. Yeah. So they were probably just working their way through, but I was like, man, that, that was fun. But the cool thing is I was telling uh, Shane this, like when those pigs are in, there was like no nerve at all. Like if it was a doe, I would have been way more shook up. But like the pigs, I'm like, okay, let's just see what happens. Yeah. And Shane was like, dude, if you can be like that with a big buck, you'll, you'll kill almost every big buck you have an opportunity <laughs> if you can keep yourself that controlled. I'm like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen, but it, it was fun with the pigs, but it was decided to hike out and, uh, went back and kind of talked to the guys and everything kind of midday. And I decided since I blew that buck out cause he probably saw me. I don't know if he could, I don't think he could smell me but, cause I was kind of working into the wind, but when I was coming off that ridge line, dropping into that, that drainage, he definitely probably saw me. That's why he spooked so hard. Um, I'm like, I'm not going to go in there this afternoon. I might come in here another day or two later, but like I'm gonna go hit, hunt that water hole. So I go to the water hole, got set up perfectly. You know, it was money spot, 25 yards to the watering hole. Nothing showed, mm. and I'm like, ne- didn't even hear anything moving around because there's enough leaf litter in there. You could, if 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 something was walking around within 100 yards of you, you would hear it more than likely. And yeah. I just never heard anything, never saw anything, and, and that was kind of a wrap. Um, but the the next day, we again just went back to camp. Uh, me and Pike kind of got all set up, went over, and uh, and hung out, and then we decided to uh, next morning, like, hey, let's 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 sleep in, because again, I didn't, I didn't have anything I felt confident going into in the mornings, and it seemed like everybody that was hunting mornings, because there's a couple of people in camp hunting mornings, it seemed like the deer were already back in bed, like early, just probably because of the temperature and everything. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm like, let's go in the morning. Let's go, like, drive some spots and just, like, kind of, like, heat. You know, Pike kind of showed me around, you know, in this area. And I was kind of, you know, just kind of get a better lay of the land, cover some ground. And, dude, we saw a two-and-a-half-year-old buck that was beyond impressive. He crossed the road right there in front of us. You know, this is after, us, you know, a couple hours driving around. And uh, he stopped on the side of the road. We pull up and park right next to it 10 yards. And I'm like, dude, that is no older than a two-and-a-half-year-old buck. Just scrawny legs, little tiny head. But his antlers did not match his body. I mean, how big was he? I mean, probably a hundred and probably a hundred and fifteen inch eight point with like really good mass as a two and a half year old. I'd kill that deer. Yeah, I'm like every day and twice on Sunday. Yeah, and I'm like, holy crap, dude! And I'm like, that's mm. that's unreal. And he's like, oh yeah. He's like, he's like, just wait, wait and see. So um, we covered some more ground, found some other really good spots as well for some other hunts in the, in the future, but. Uh, after that, just decided I, I couldn't hunt that afternoon. I had some other uh, other things I had to take care of, so I had to leave. But uh, it, it was a fun opening weekend. Got to learn a lot. But, dude, it was as hot as crap, upper 80s the whole time, kind of dry, stagnant. A uh, little bit of swirling winds and stuff like that, kind of like what you yeah. deal with early season. Typical early season um, weather but, pattern. But, yeah, but now we got a cold front coming through. So, got, yeah. Got me Woo. a little more excited about going in there with that, that, those three scrapes right in that hot feature and trying to sit on that buck on a morning hunt. When you think turkey calls, think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configurations. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB Hen, some days I might like the Ghost Cut. Some situations I might like the Country Girl Call, you know, that I can cut on really hard where on other situations I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation and hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP 24. That's SOP 24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981. 
and offer you a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable. Like, everybody's jaws were dropping. Like, when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. The same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with true lock. Listen, dude, that spot, where you, what you showed me on the map and everything and just how it sets up, like, gosh, that is that that is ideal from, from a couple different past guest standpoints. So, of course, uh, Drew Atkinson with, like, the scrape line mm-hmm. thing, you found exactly what he was talking about with the scrape lines, where he's, he's working a transition, you're kind of in his core area and uh and that's probably like a scrape line that he's working during the daytime uh but also it relates to scott seals mm-hmm. and his feed tree uh episode we did with him earlier this summer i think it was episode 502 maybe uh but it's it's like feed tree Masterclass with scott seals uh you can go check it out actually you can go to our website and our podcast page there's a little at the top of like the podcast feed there's a little search function and uh, it's it's actually really good for uh, for finding episodes like that. So you mm-hmm. can go use that to find it. But it's it's early 500s. It was in May of this year, and it's with Scott Seals. And Scott specifically likes to target early season bucks midday on feed trees. And to do it successfully, you have to be like right there on top of them. Like you got to be in a place where they feel secure. And what was interesting about where that buck was bedded is he's kind of bedded. Uh, maybe a little bit offset on a little drainage that goes up into some thick cover. And this little drainage goes down into, I mean, on the topo map, it looks like a like a little bitty baby hub, you know, like not really a big thermal hub or anything like that. But it seems like there's a couple little ditches that kind of come together. And he was basically up on one of those ditches. And per the GPS studies that we were able to take a look at, which are still live on our Patreon, uh, we had GPS collar data for a bunch of different bucks in Alabama, both on two different WMAs and a couple different hunting clubs. And that deer, according to where you think he was bedded, bedded just like all those ones that we looked at. And they, they all bedded kind of the same way. Which, you know. by the way, those studies are on Patreon. Yeah, so they're still live on our Patreon right now. You can go check them out and go look at the videos where we broke them down and put them on a map and everything. Patreon.com forward slash the Southern, Southern Outdoorsman. Outdoorsman. Oh, yeah. So on those, the the deer, that that was a big thing for us a couple of years ago when we first saw those because to that point, you know, pretty much most of what we hear is like the deer bed on ridge points and they bed wind to back and they do this and they do that. Well, a lot of what we saw on those GPS studies was not that like ever. Like they didn't ever do that. 
They were betted mostly in draws. They betted close to roads. They betted close to forks and roads. Saddles. Saddles and, like and some, offset from a saddle. or And just off of a thermal hub up a ditch. Yeah, just up a ditch, like just off a thermal hub, exactly like what you're saying. So they were betted in these little kind of out-of-the-way spots, usually, I mean, pretty much always in thick cover and pretty much always inside of the thick cover a decent ways, not like smack in the middle of it, but 30, 40 yards into it at least. Um, and he was set up just like that, which was really cool to see. Um, and then also the thing with Scott Seals about uh, getting in on his core area, the way that this sets up is that feed tree is dropping right on that transition. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like a the most textbook spot ever for that dude. Mm-hmm. Like, it just looks so good. I mean, I wasn't in there, so I'm like detached from it. But just looking, like, from what you told me, what it looks like on the map, I'm like, oh, my gosh, dude, I would be in there – ASAP, okay? Mm -hmm. And a little thing we haven't mentioned yet is, you know, we had that SOA hunt last year. Mm -hmm. Well, Jacob drew it this year. So, I drew it last year. Jacob drew it this year. So, we're going two years in a row. So, uh, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm I'm pretty excited about that, too. But, the scouting weekend Mm -hmm. just so happens to coincide with this big, giant cold front that you probably shouldn't miss. So I don't know what I don't know what you want to do. I don't know what you want to do. But my personal opinion, you should probably go hunting. You want to go scout the the <laughs> SOA, or are you gonna go hunt? I'm gonna go hunt. I think. I mean, it it depends on what you want to do. We can go scout the SOA. But here's the thing about the SOA. Here's the thing. So we hunted it last year. It's a pretty diverse SOA. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different stuff. We hunted a, a more hilly part of it. Uh, last season, and, and that's where that video on our YouTube channel now, you can go watch it. Uh, we ended up killing those deer basically in a drainage below a cutover. So there's a big draw that came out of this cutover, and they were kind of funneling down out of that, and we shot them in that draw. Um, the units that we got this year are f- very flat. No topography whatsoever. Uh, the guys that we stayed in camp with actually hunted these units, and they kind of gave us some information. One of them ended up killing a buck. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were to kind of talking about what they were seeing. The, the unit has like a clear cut on it. It's got one It's got one cut that's too old to hunt. It's definitely going to be too old to hunt. It's got another cut that's going to be kind of borderline. And then it's got select cut pines on it, uh, along with your mature hardwoods around the creeks and stuff. Um, looking at it on the map, this is, I'm get, what I'm getting to mm-hmm. is why I think you should just go hunt this weekend instead of worrying about that. Because looking at the map, I don't know if you have any other ideas, but I think I pretty much already know what I'm doing on the SOA hunt. My happy butt is sitting in a roadbed because there are some beautiful, long straightaways that are huntable on these these old roadbeds that go through this thing, mm-hmm. going right through some select cut pines. Uh, they got some low spots kind of cutting through where, you know, it's it's flat. It's very flat, but it's not like a tabletop. You know, there's little rolls and stuff. And getting on one of those road straightaways where you can kind of look down like a straightaway that kind of dips and goes back up, kind of like you're hunting a saddle, but it's not really a saddle because it's flat land. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's going to be good. I think hunting that cut's going to be good. But when I'm looking at it on the map, and I'm kind of curious, I, I waited until this podcast to bring it up because I because I want to get your like immediate reaction. Um, but when I look at that, I'm like, I don't exactly know what I would go scout right now that would change what I think I'm going to do in January when we have this hunt. Because it, it's going to be so different when we're there. Like, we're not even necessarily looking for deer sign, per se, right now, like mm-hmm. when we go scout it. 
so I'm like, I think I'm just gonna hunt a freaking road bed, you know. Um, what are your thoughts? It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, because that place sets up for it. And again, this is a, a gun hunt, so that's why we're talking about sitting road beds, which you can on that place. Again, it's all closed access, so you can hunt those road beds completely safe. Uh, plus, it's only us two that have the unit, so yep. we get like a couple hundred acres just to ourselves on that place. Um, that is interesting. That is interesting. Because what what would you scout out there besides maybe some like habitat transitions? That's the, that's that's it. I would just scout habitat transitions and look for any pre existing you yeah. know scrapes specifically, and just seeing like what areas if you were to get more in the timber on some of that stuff, what areas potentially would set up better for travel corridors per se. Yeah, especially like off the creek or you know mm-hmm. any of those like little kind of hub areas you know kind of by the water. Um, yeah. Because point. my thing, though, is, like, we could go look at that right now, but what's the first thing we're going to do when we get there in January? Relook at it. Go look at those exact same things That's to true. figure out where the fresh sign is. That's very true. Okay. I'll, I'll, so I'm I'll like, let's go kill a deer this weekend. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I like it. I like that plan. Okay. All right. I didn't know, because that kind of goes against everything I stand for. I know. scouting standpoint. Yeah. You're like, we're going to scout it first before we go hunt it. Where you're like, well, we're going to scout it anyways when we get there. Well, that that's that's the other thing, too, is this is this place that you hunted this weekend is a is a place that we think we're going to put a little bit more time into this year and maybe over the next couple of years. So I'm like, we need to start building a history with it, you mm-hmm. know. Um, we could go out there and, you know, hopefully this year we end up killing something. Hopefully you kill something this weekend. But uh, to have, like, the consistent success, you know, over the years, we need to start building a history with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is kind of like something we've started doing these last couple of seasons is, is kind of challenging ourselves and kind of going to new areas that we're not used to and stuff that is kind of out of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, because, one, I think it makes for – I think it makes the podcast better because I think that we can ask people questions from, like, a more uh, genuine – standpoint where i'm like really wondering about this because i'm in a similar situation Mm -hmm. now and i'm not just hunting the same old place i've always hunted uh also it's just it's fun to go branch out and and try to get good in different places and and one of the things that that i i think that i'm going to be trying to do is like again build that history and start figuring the place out long term yeah uh which is what i was telling sam this past weekend we were putting his cameras out uh because i almost joined a different hunting club this year uh and I ended up staying in ours. But I was telling him I'm glad that I did, and really the main reason I stayed in ours is because I already got a year of history with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, year one, I was just kind of looking around, trying to figure it out. Uh, year two, year three, like that's when I usually end up killing something. That's what Kevin Tolles talks about in his yeah. episode, which by the way, you need to look that episode up. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but we we Ke- reference that a lot. But Kevin Tolles, um, he's a he's a guy who's been on the podcast a whole bunch, um, probably been on three, maybe three four times now. And uh, he talks about that. He's had a lot of success in hunting clubs, uh, you know, lease properties with a lot of other members. And he always talks about in that the first episode we did with him on this is I think it's episode two hundred six. Uh, is that right? Two hundred six. Yes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we did go listen to two hundred six and three forty two. Both of those are with Kevin Tullis, and they're about uh, hunting clubs, yeah, specifically. Um, like I think the first one, um. What was it? 302, 306. What was the first first number? 206. 206. Um, talking about big buck sanctuaries. And, and what he says was the first year, you know, you may luck into something. Like you kind of learn some, some stuff that you might be able to capitalize on. But it's really what you take away from year one and learning the hunting pressure, where everybody else likes to hunt, and, and the patterns you see on trail camera, the patterns you see in the woods, I mean, the patterns you see if you kill a buck. 
to then apply for year two, and year two is really when you capitalize. Yes. And, and you you know you go all in, and you have a really good understanding of how the property hunts. You have a good understanding of how everybody else hunts on the property, how the deer use the property, and that's when you're able to really you know go save up for some tax revenue bills. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, so. and that's kind of my view with with this place, and I'm curious about uh, what your thoughts are because like you were you were all hot and heavy about this place, which is Jacob's personality, man. Like, yeah, he has he has one good hunt where he gets to sneak around on some pigs, and he's like, dude, this is the best place we've ever hunted. We we need to get up here. So with this place, my my idea with it is like, hey, let's get up there, let's hunt it as much as we can, mm-hmm. let's hammer it in the rut, get some good gun hunts in up there. But right now, especially right now, let's pepper some cameras through there. Let's find some scrapes, some like good community scrapes to put some cameras on, whether we think we can kill deer on them or not. Uh, and go ahead and get those cameras out. Maybe some other terrain features, like uh, like some like saddles or something, or mm-hmm. maybe or a bluff gap or something like that. And and put cameras on those features and let them soak this year. And then next year we're gonna have. A decent amount of hunting experience. We're gonna have local connections mm-hmm. who we know up there. Who you know, we're gonna get to pick their brain and share deer camp with them this year. Uh, and then we're also gonna have trail camera data. Yep. So it's like this year, I do think we could kill something up there. Um, but next year, I think we could go in with a purpose and and really, because you know, right now you're you're just kind of throwing the bucket of crap at the wall and seeing what sticks. <laughs> You know, like you're just kind of going into this spot, you're going into that spot, and you're scouting around, and and it's trial and error. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, hopefully by next year, you kind of got some areas narrowed down. You can uh, you can go in there, and every hunt you're hunting with a purpose now. You get what I'm saying? Yep. So, what what are your thoughts? That's what I said earlier. I mean, before we even did the podcast, I'm like, dude, I'm I'm all in. I'm all in. So. Yeah, I know, but now you got to say it on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, but that I mean. Definitely, I'll tell you one other thing just for, like, listeners is, like, when you've hunted the same place your whole entire life, whether it's a family farm, hunting club you've been in for a long time or whatever, it really does pay to go see some new ground, whether you change hunting clubs, change leases, you get access to a different farm, you hunt a different piece of public land, because it kind of, at least for me, it refires me back up about, like, the scouting aspect. After you've hunted a place for 10 or 12 years, it's like you kind of know where to hunt and everything, and it's more like a waiting game. Versus, like, when you step foot on a new property, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what the quality of the bucks could potentially be there or anything else like that. So there's, like, a there's a big excitement aspect, at least for me, about stepping foot on a new property that looks promising and, and spending a lot of time out there. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely very, very excited about that and kind of seeing how it all kind of plays out um, and, and putting everything kind of together there. Um, but also, it's just, like, a change of pace, which is kind of fun, too. You know, when you go to some place that – you haven't previously hunted to me, at least for myself, I look at it through a different lens as compared to like some of the properties that we've hunted for, you know, almost 10, 12 years now. Um, it's everything's, it's not even just like, you know, being a little bit more, uh, optimistic about anything. It's more about, you just truly don't know what's out there. And because of that, there's like a, a an extra excitement level, uh, compared to areas that maybe you've hunted for just an absolute ton of time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you have any specific goal as far as like building year over year out there? Just scout as much as you can. You're not really a trail camera guy, so like I doubt you're going to put a trail camera out. Yeah, um, I th- really just learning the learning the land, learning the topography, learning the habitat, how deer use it at certain times of the year. I think is going to be really critical. Um, 
that have more confidence, you know, actually hunting a specific, you know, area, general area on some of that public. Uh, and then also kind of buckling down, you know, don't look at everything through like the lens of like, you got to cover the whole property, but like finding a couple areas, you know, kind of doing the whole West Moe thing, you know, find a thousand acres that you really like. It's got the diversity, it's got the habitat, everything you're looking for and really kind of hone in on that versus, you know, jump around from one side of a piece of public to another side of a piece of public or same thing in your hunting club, like find, you know, a thousand, 2000 acres you really like, learn it really well. And, you know, while you're scouting it, if it doesn't look very promising, we'll move on to a different piece, but kind of yeah. like focus through like the kind of a, a quadrant perspective, you know, find a quadrant you really like, look at it, learn it, understand how the deer are going to, you know, um, access that place, how they're going to bed there, how they're going to travel there. If deer get pressure there, how are they going to escape from that area and then learn all that aspects. And I think you'll be able to capitalize a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting, man. And I'm excited because of the, the, the friend group that we have up there right now who we're all going to be kind of hunting together. We're already, like, sharing information back and forth uh, and just putting minds together with some really good deer hunters, so I'm excited about that. Just to mm-hmm. see just to see who kills what, you know. It doesn't even have to be me. I'm just excited to see, like, oh, I'm excited to see what Shane gets. <laughs> by the way, by the way, uh, I think it'll probably be, probably maybe next Monday's episode. Uh, y'all are going to see Michael Pike back on the podcast. Yep. He's finally back after like a year and a half of being gone. So Took a little hiatus. A little hiatus, and he is back and hot and heavy. So yeah, yeah. y'all aren't going to want to miss that episode. It's really good. But now we got some Q&As, guys. So, um, yeah, old Pike is back, man. I, I wasn't on that podcast y'all did, but I, I called him yesterday. Mm-hmm. And just we talked deer hunting for like 45 minutes, and the stuff we are talking about, I'm like, Pike is back, baby. Come on. Fire, uh, fired up. But um, real quick, so on, on the Q&As, we're about to read some Q&As here. Appreciate everybody who's been submitting Q&As. Y'all have been awesome, all the listeners out there. Um, you can actually go and actually submit a Q&A on our website. It's thesoutheroutdoorsman.com. There's a Q&A form there. Or in the show notes on all the podcast episodes and on YouTube, you can actually click the Q&A link down below, and you'll fill these out. And this is something that me and Andrew will kind of answer on some of the podcasts. And specifically, if you want a question for, say, a past guest we've had on, uh, you can submit it there, and we'll try to reach out to those guests and try to get them to give us an answer, and then we'll kind of recap their answer on these episodes. So yep. appreciate all that, but we got our very first one. So who we have here? All right, this one. So I'm actually skipping ahead for this one. So we got a little bit of a backlog of questions that we're working through every week. This one came in today, and we're going to go ahead and read it because it is extremely timely. I, I relevant. this one, yeah. So uh, this is from uh, Alf Rylander from North Carolina. He says, hey, guys, big fan from North Carolina. Looks like a great weather front moving in this holiday weekend. We might see some rain and with it some dropping temps with lows in the high 40s. My question is, how would you adjust your game plan to account for this weather weather pattern? Would you stay focused on food? Maybe is it time to slip tighter to bedding? Uh, it seems like my area of North Carolina, central North Carolina, the deer are still fairly on a fairly consistent bedding to food pattern uh there are some oaks starting to drop and if you can find them the deer are already all over persimmon trees uh that being said scrapes are also starting to be made and freshened up i'd say we have the ingredients for an exciting weekend in the deer woods would love to hear your take on it i mean he's basically in the same situation you're in right yeah all right so um this is my take after what i found this weekend hunting up there because this is why i kind of also decided not to go back and hunt it um last minute because we got this big cold front coming in and one thing about these cold fronts i think we've saw some of this in the gps data 
that when you have only one of these cold fronts come through early season, it almost seems like the bucks don't go back to bed, or the deer in general don't go back to bed super early, like before daylight. Mm-hmm. They kind of linger and feed a lot longer. So if you're going to hunt mornings, I wouldn't go hunt a food source, but kind of like what you had mentioned, you know, get tighter to that bedding, especially if you have an idea of where a buck's potentially bedding at. And or in a situation like where I found where you have feed sign, scraping activity, and also bedding extremely close, that would be one of those fantastic spots I think that would be worth going back in and actually setting up and even getting in there maybe just as daylight's happening so you kind of not use a headlight. You can slip in uh, and kind of get up your tree. And, and especially if it's going to be as cool <clears throat> over there in North Carolina as it's going to be here in Alabama. It's supposed to get down in the 40s um, yeah, at the lows. So, you know, there's probably a very good chance you're going to find some really good movement throughout the whole morning all the way up to probably noon. So, like, my plan is kind of like uh, what Al's talking about is uh, in his same situation is I'm planning on, you know, hunting where I found this these big scrapes underneath these feed trees right next to the bedding to slip in there and hunt all morning long um, and then potentially even throw an, you know, afternoon sit there. But I think morning, the reason why I'm interested in going in the morning with the cold front there's other feed trees in the general area. I think this is the last feed tree they hit before going back to bed. Mm-hmm. And I would expect them to probably potentially come back around 7, 8 o'clock in the morning feeding there. Because when we were driving around uh, our last morning uh, on this piece of public, me and, uh, me and Pike, we saw bucks moving or saw a buck moving at like 9 o'clock in the morning. And it wasn't even that cool. It was probably like in the, the upper 60s, low 70s at that time. Um, we're, with this being so much colder, I think they're going to range a little bit further. Also, I personally think, especially where we're going to be at, it's going to kind of spike that testosterone. They're probably going to be laying down a lot more sun, and they're probably going to be lingering outside the bedding area for a little bit longer, so you have a really good chance to capitalize in the morning. Then on the evening sits, I think it really kind of just dictates, you know, not necessarily getting super tight to the bedding, but what is your best food sources or travel corridors closest to that bedding location where you're at. So if you're in central, uh, central North Carolina, there's probably a lot of pine trees there, a little mixed hardwoods too. You know, if you have clear cuts in your area and you think the bucks are probably bedding or the deer are bedding in those clear cuts, you know, kind of capitalizing on feed trees in and around that bedding location for an afternoon set, you'll probably do pretty good. Yeah. That probably took everything you probably wanted yeah, to say. Yeah, I mean, I, you, I, I really don't have much to add to that at all. Um, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> okay. Do what Jacob said. Yep. Uh, maybe, maybe it makes them linger a little bit more, although people argue about that nowadays. People definitely argue about that. Anyways, all right, next up, Chase Pate is about one sticking. He says, I enjoy the content. I have a question, and you are the only people I can think of to answer it. I hunt North Florida, and I'm thinking about one sticking. I do not know anyone that does it. Uh, I have several years of saddle hunting, and my concern is trying to climb a damp slash wet pine tree. I feel like wet or dry pine tree would be both noisy and difficult to climb. Do you or anyone you know have experience slash advice in one sticking in a pine tree? Um, and then he actually added to that. Uh, I think the tether in my boots would be sliding around, and when it's dry, you'll be making lots of noise when you're reaching down to grab the stick. All right. So I've been one sticking a little bit this year. Yeah. Uh, decided to take the plunge with it um, and, and just try it out. So when, like, I've practiced one stick in a little bit, and I've, I've actually hunted in the one stick, like, uh, like probably three times now. And uh, I've gotten in a pine tree twice, and the pine tree is definitely more loud and more difficult than, like, a like a mountain oak or a poplar or something, which are, or I think I climbed a cherry tree even one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, so the pine tree, it's a lot more slick. I haven't climbed a wet one, but even the dry pine tree was 
very slick long leaf pine like big scaly bark uh and it was it was significantly more difficult uh and loud uh i wouldn't say it was hard but i mean it it, it was different but um i'll say this it's loud if you climb in a climber it's gonna make that crunching noise yeah i mean it's loud no matter what it's loud typically if you use some kind of sticks when your stick's set it's gonna be kind of loud i mean pine trees are just loud no matter what when it comes to climbing in yeah your, your tether if you're worried about your tether sliding around your tether's not gonna slide well let me tell you if you want to fix that this is something i started using last year so i'm going to my second season using it i can and it's i feel terrible because i can't remember the company who makes this um they typically advertise on the Running Gun Whitetail Hunters Facebook group uh, on Facebook. Uh, it's a guy does 3D printing, and he has this little clip that snaps around your rope on your tether uh, to keep it from sliding back down. So you can mm-hmm. like cinch it up, you clip it on, and it keeps it from sliding. And it works extremely, extremely well. So if you're worried that like when you like climb up on the stick and you have slack in your tether – it potentially, you know, sliding down, you can buy it and it's like six bucks or seven dollars. Like it's it's pretty cheap. Yeah. I'm not sure if he's asking about sliding like when he puts weight on it, like if there's gonna be some give to it, or if he's talking about when he gets up. But but yeah, I would look into that thing if you're worried about No matter what, they'll keep it from happening for either way. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't really have problems with it sliding like when I put weight on it. Like it might settle just a little bit, but uh, it's nothing it's nothing serious. Um, and a, a wet pine tree is not overly slick anyways. To me, like a like a water oak um, or any like really tight bark hardwood. Any really hard bark tree. Those you're going to have a lot more sliding on than a pine tree. Pine tree is typically anything. If, it, if it's got teeth on a standoff or whatever, it's going to bite like crazy on a pine tree. So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be worried about it being slick per se on a pine tree. Now, again, a water oak, live oak, um, uh, I'll tell you what's terrible it's soft, but it'll still slide as a sycamore. Oh, yeah. You, you climb a sycamore, dude, it's, you know, it's a little sketchy. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, but yeah, I, you shouldn't have to worry about that. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be worried about climbing a pine tree. Like, if that's what's keeping you from potentially one stick, and I, I, I wouldn't hold off because of the pine tree thing. I think that, I think you'll figure it out with, with a little bit of practice for sure. Now, if, I, if I'm hunting in a spot and I've got a pine tree, and like a poplar right next to each other, I'm getting in the poplar every time because because my stick bites so good in that tree, uh, it's it's completely silent. But you know if there's a pine tree there, I'll get up in a pine tree. Also, another thing which you can't do with that Catalyst Outdoor stick that you've got. That's mine, by the way. And like even Pike talked about in the episode, like uh-huh. I let him bar it for like almost two years, and then finally got a got a hold. Dave of was just donating it to the whole friend group. Yeah, apparently. so I, making the I, I haven't even used it yet, but. Um, you can't do it with that because the way they machined it, I don't think you can put the Eastern Woods Outdoors came out with a a single uh, sided cam cleat, so only one side of the cam cleat actually moves, so it doesn't make any noise because like that you have the dual cam cleat on that uh, yep. one stick, and most other one sticks have had it. So when you unclip that rope, it snaps together and makes like a tinging sound. Yeah, you have to be you you have to like when you reach down there to get it, you have to like kind of stick your thumb in there uh, to keep it from doing that. So I mean, you can keep it silent, but it's like an extra thing that you're having to like really think, pay attention. Yeah, to. Yeah, think about. But again, you can get like now like some of these one sticks from like Eastern Wind Outdoors. You can get it with that that new cam cleat, which is 100 percent silent. I gotta see that at the Mobile Hunters Expo, which is pretty sweet. Or if you already have a one stick, you can. You know, if it's just a bolt-on cam uh, cleat on there, you can unbolt it and you can buy that other cam cleat. I think it's only like forty-five bucks. 
And like yeah. personally, if, when, if I get a one stick or get mine back from yours or from you, um, <laughs> all you got to do is go buy some rope and you're good to go. Well, and you got to get like a mad rock or something. Yeah, definitely ain't gonna get a mad rock. But uh, anyways, it, it, that would be the way to go to make it as quiet as possible. But anyway, yeah. so we got another one. Uh, yep, last one. Uh, this is from Jacob Parsley. He said, I want to start by saying thank you so much for the useful information. I found the podcast this year and have been paying attention to every word. I've used the tips about finding terrain uh, in the transition. Um, oh, finding the transition in the transition and trying to think different than other hunters, which has been huge. I found a great spot, set up a camera, and had deer on it within hours. My question is, what are your tips for scouting areas that have ample food, as in acorns, leafy browse, and green briar, and cover throughout? Uh, literally, the deer can eat from their beds. How do you find patterns in woods that are so thick and rich with food and cover that the deer don't need to travel to find what they need? Thank you in advance. And he said, uh, from Jacob Parsley, at Cottonmouth Outdoors. I'll let you answer it first because I got my take on this. You can go first. Uh, even when they have everything, like we've hunted places where they, where they have everything like mm-hmm. that, they got the, they got the, the bedding and the food, they still move. Um, they're, they're still going to get up and move in most cases. Uh, so I would, I would start by looking at your edges in, in that situation. Um, and, and look at your habitat edges, like where maybe you have that thicker cover, uh, and then it butts up against maybe some less thick cover or some open woods or whatever. I'd start with that and, and scout that for deer sign and just really let the sign kind of guide where you go um, and where you end up hunting in that situation. But that can be tough. I was actually talking to uh, to Rocky about that yesterday because mm-hmm. we were talking about a place we used to hunt, and there was like this 400-acre pine thicket that I had a couple different cameras in, and I had this big 10-point on camera in there. And he would be on one camera at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and then he'd be on another camera at midnight that same day. And I'm like, this sucker is in that pine thicket. I mean, straight up in that pine thicket. And he's just living in it. I mean, because you're getting daylight pictures of him in there. You're getting midnight pictures of him, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock. Like, just all the time, he's just straight up living in that thing. And there's a lot of honeysuckle and greenbriar in there that he could eat on. Um, And obviously, I did not ever kill that deer. But I think if if you were to try to kill a deer in, in a situation similar to that, it's gonna be you're gonna have to hunt just the edges of it and try to find a feed tree on the edges of it, um, or at least some kind of food, you know, outside of it mm-hmm. that they can come to. Uh, so I don't know. I guess that would be my take. Is like just start by hitting your your habitat edges. If you've got terrain, I would start looking at terrain features that that kind of correspond to those habitat edges, and I would look for um, feed sign or just general deer sign in and around those habitat and terrain edges. Yep. So my take on is if you're talking about like early bow season, if it sounds the way you're describing, it sounds like kind of like a pine plantation. It's probably been like select cut and everything. Uh, if I had to guess where like, there's just a ton of ample cover underneath tons of browse, everything, but the isolating feature there would be white oaks or red oaks. So if there's a way, whether it's like, this is like timber, uh, highly managed timber properties where it's just like little streamside management zones, little SMZs, little ditches that have hardwood timber on it. If you can find isolated oaks in that stuff, that would be an awesome spot to really check on right now, especially early season. But as you kind of transition 
with the leaf off, all that stuff's going to look different when the leaves come off. It looks probably really thick now, and a lot of stuff will still stay very thick, but it's going to get slightly more open as the leaves come off, especially getting into, like, November, uh, especially down here in the deep south, late October into November, um, and, and finding those little pockets of greenbrier, because a lot of times greenbrier doesn't just grow everywhere. You get pockets of it, and it's a really good brow source. And, like, we've had guys, I've talked to guys <clears throat> in the past, not even on the podcast, that would find a really good greenbrier patch in and around thick pines, but, like, those deer wanted to be in that one acre green bio patch and, and, and feed in and them actually going in there and having success sitting on the ground because there's not trees to get in and actually shooting deer on the ground in those green briar patches. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's something that, you know, to me plays more of a factor, especially as you start getting into kind of, you know, November, December time period. Um, he didn't say what state he's in, did he? Mm-mm. So, I mean, that would be something I'd be paying attention to is trying to find isolated white oaks or isolated oaks. Cause if you don't have white oaks, you have red oaks there. That's fine as well. Um, and then also really trying to focus on, you know, early season bow hunting and like, especially like pine thickets like that sucks. It's super hard. Again, props to the guys who can be successful during that time of year, especially killing mature bucks then, because again, like you said, they don't have to move very far to feed. Uh, but as some of that cover dies back and some of that browse dies back, it makes it more and more isolated where there's still food in those thickets. But it's also, they're starting to cruise, they're starting to cover a little bit more ground, especially start getting into the pre-rut. And really, if you have that abundant of thick cover, I would highly recommend putting out some mock scrapes in and around where you are finding sign and seeing how are bucks using those mock scrapes or trying to find just a really good community scrape or a primary scrape and, and how they're going about using it at different times of the day and then using that information on how to access and hunt these spots. Because if you're getting a ton of activity, you know, in the morning before daylight and then it kind of dies off, well, you need to start backtracking those deer. Episode 122, I think, with yep. uh, Jeff Homan. Jeff Homan. Uh, go back to listen to that episode and start using those cameras to backtrack, especially if you're trying to kill a buck or if you're just trying to kill a doe and figure out where those deer are spending more of their time that kind of cover during daylight hours. And then the thing is, when you find that, you also have to figure out how can I get in here and hunt it? Because a lot of times if it's really thick, it's loud walking through that stuff. You make a lot of noise. You're touching a lot of stuff while you're going there. So you're leaving a pretty good ground disturbance. So you really have to hunt very smart or in a very smart way to be successful in that yeah. area. And then also, if you have opportunities to hunt with a muzzleloader or with a gun, you're really trying to fine tune where those deer are using those areas now so that when gun season comes around or muzzleloader season comes around, you have an idea of how to be able to access and be able to hunt in that kind of cover. But a lot of that you'll kind of learn during bow season of where the deer are at and then how they transition when the leaf leaf cover really dies back. Yeah, to add to that, uh, 122 of Jeff Homan is an excellent episode to, for him to listen to mm-hmm. because Jeff, that's what Jeff hunts, man. He hunts thick just lot of lots of cover, lots of food all over the place, lots of pressure as well. Mm-hmm. And he had success in a setting pretty much exactly like that. And also to clarify a little bit on what I was saying earlier is if if everything is thick, there's there's probably gonna be I doubt you're hunting like a like a ten thousand acre like shelter wood cut or something like that. Uh so there's there's gonna be some kind of edge in there, you know, whether it's pines versus hardwoods or pines versus different pines or or whatever like there's gonna be some kind of edge and no matter how thick the entire place is deer are still creatures of edge so they're gonna be attracted to those edges so that's gonna be something that you can key in on uh even if it's like let's say let's say you have a, a block of pines over here and a block of pines over there and they're equally thick but they're two different kinds of cover like mm-hmm. one of them's hardwood saplings and one of them is like briars mm-hmm. 
deer are still going to be attracted to that edge. Even if they're just as thick as one another, just the fact that they're different habitats, deer are still going to be congregated around that edge. Yep. So that's why I say that's a good spot to hit because you're kind of playing off of that. Um, so I'd be curious at, of, of how that goes. I'd, I'd love for him to write back in and see how it goes. But uh, all right, review time. we got the legend. Oh, my gosh, he locked the dang phone. All right, here we go. All right. Yeah. Oh, man, our boy, Big Butt. I can't talk. Big Buck Nuts is back. He's a legendary reviewer. Uh, title for his review is I'm Back. Five stars. Well, 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 boys. This old buck has come back to check out what's going on in y'all's thicket. Just seen old Michael Pike the other day when he was driving through the Badlands. <laughs> he about clipped me as I was crossing the road looking like Mr. Fancy Pants with his Lexus. Take care, boys. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, you see Mike, uh, old Pike? You saw a big old muley out there mm-hmm. out west. All right, this is from uh, Bama Boy 67 best in the game, five stars. I listen to this podcast going to work and coming home. Widest variety of speakers out of any other podcast. Thanks for what y'all do. All right, here you go. All right. We'll do this one, and we'll end it on this one. All right, so this is from Woodland Whitetails, five-star review titled Southern Gentleman. My go-to my go-to podcast for hunting. These fellows got these fellows got what you need if you enjoy hunting and enjoy good conversations with fellow hunters. The guys are respectful Southerners that share the same passion for hunting as the listeners. Highly recommended. All right, man, appreciate it, everybody. Appreciate those reviews. Uh, those are always nice to see them rolling in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I guess to recap. Y'all go check out the hats, man. Yeah. We're really excited about the hats, for real. Yeah, go pick up some hats. We'll ship those out as soon as we get some orders coming through. Yeah. Awesome. Got the blaze orange hats on the way. Get you ready for gun season. Also, to mention this, you've made it this far to the podcast. Of course, you're a diehard listener. If you go out and implement things that you've learned from the podcast, whether it's something that me and Andrew's talked about, something that the guest has talked about, and you have success doing so, I don't care if you kill a doe, a spike, or the biggest buck of your entire life, Right into us on our down in the show notes on the podcast and the show notes on the YouTube channel, and then also on our website, there is a listener success form. Go fill that out. We're going to start giveaways starting in October. So, any new reviews that come in in the month of October, we're going to do some giveaways, give away some Onyx memberships and some other companies that we partnered with uh, to do some awesome giveaway packages each individual month going from October into January. So, uh, go out, kill, kill you a deer, man. If you've got a good story, write it in, and we'll vote on uh, our favorite stories that come in, listener success wise, and, uh, and get some of those care packages sent out. So, we appreciate y'all listening, appreciate y'all watching. And we'll catch y'all back here on the next episode from the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Y'all stay safe. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This
this year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.